Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. This is really a special edition because, as you know, I usually tell you a little bit about the guest that I'm going to bring out and present to you. Every show, I try to make sure that you have information, motivation, inspiration, tools, or resources at your disposal by the end of the show so that it can make your life healthier and happier. Today with me, I have a guest who has a story of her own, along with some information and tools and resources that she's going to share with you. But I don't want to be the one to give the information away. So I'm going to bring her to the show so that she can capture your attention and charm you with some of the information the way she does it best. Welcome to the show, Lisa Antonini. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I am really excited about having you on because you have quite a unique story and focus compared to a lot of people out there. We get motivational speakers, we get people who are doing this or people who are doing that, but the field that they're doing it in oftentimes has been replicated a number of times. You're doing something that hasn't been replicated over and over and over and over again. This is something very unique. And I think the audience would like to know a little bit about that. Can you share your story or begin to pick apart, pick a time, not pick apart, but pick a time in part of your story where you'd like to begin? Okay, if I could, let me just ask you one question. Absolutely. You're an average, you're an average citizen going about your life. What would you do if you were arrested for something you didn't do. I would fight hard to prove that I didn't do it. Most people would say hire an attorney and, and go to court and fight. Well, my story begins about 13 and a half years ago. A family member of mine was arrested for a crime that he didn't commit. Um, he was 18 years old at the time and he was with some friends a friend had called asking for a favor, and he got a group of other friends together to help this other friend out. And I wasn't there. I can't tell you exactly everything that took place during that meeting, but I can tell you that someone was there who was armed. He had a gun. And one of the men ended up shot. Okay, let's just stop right there so that we can make sure this is really clear. So here's a situation where you have a family member that is in an area. He himself did not have a weapon, but somebody else did. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. There was four people together that day. I'm sorry? There was four people together that day, my family member and his friend and two other gentlemen. Okay, and out of those four people, one person had a weapon. Yes. 
And that person ended up using that weapon and inflicted bodily harm on somebody? Yes, he did. He, he shot um, my family member and the friend that were there. The friend was the one that was shot and he was killed. So your family member was injured and another person was shot. No, my family member wasn't injured. He, he was kind of a bystander. I get it. Okay. The, so the friend that had contacted him ended up being shot. So basically he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. You got it. Okay. So after that day, that was on a Saturday afternoon. The next Sunday, they showed up at his house um, with a warrant for him, my loved one, for first degree felony murder. Okay. So just for the sake of clarity, let's just call your loved one, John Doe. Would that be okay? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So this happened on the Saturday and on what day the warrant came? The police showed up at his house the next morning on a Sunday morning. Very next morning. Warrant in hand for first degree murder for the death of his friend that was killed. Okay. So for those of you listening, you may be thinking, how is that possible? And I just want to point out that out of all of the states that are compiled in the United States, every state has its own set of laws. And in the particular state that we're talking about, if you are a bystander in the presence where there is someone that has committed a crime using a weapon that it results in a fatality, you yourself can be charged with that crime. Correct. Okay. Correct. So now your now John Doe ends up waking up to the police with a warrant, is arrested and goes to jail. Yes. What happens from there? He, was, he had just turned 18, that's important to note. He and the victim were both high school buddies. Um, what happened from there? He spent two years in the county jail waiting to go to trial. The state took him to trial for first degree murder. And, and I know as you stated, you said, how is that possible? And I'm sure a lot of people listening, it's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard thing to do for your brain to make that jump. You're, you're, you're in that place, wrong place at the wrong time. Something bad happens, but now you're charged with this crime. Here in Florida, as well as many other states, we have what's called the felony murder rule. It's more commonly known as the FMR. And under the felony murder rule, loosely states that if you are present during the commission of a crime, and in the commission of that crime, someone were to lose their life, you, as well as everyone else there, can be charged with first degree felony murder under the FMR. Okay, and so that I, is how, go ahead, I'm sorry. I have two questions based on your, your statement there. Um, well, actually one is not. The first one is because you indicated that he had just turned 18. Had he been under the age of 18, because this resulted in a fatality, would he still have been charged even though he was a minor at the time with first degree murder as a being a capital case, would he have still been charged under the FMR? 
More than likely, yes. Um, here in Florida, we've, we've had them as young as 16 charged with, with homicide. Okay. And then my second question was, because there was four, three other people, four people total at the, situa- at, at the scene, right? Right. Did the other three get charged also? John Doe was charged. The gentleman that had the gun was charged. And the gentleman that was driving the car was charged. Okay. Okay. And it's important to know that after this shooting took place, the shooter and the driver absconded. They took off in, in the vehicle and, and left the state. They were later extradited back to stand charges. But um, the state did charge all three of them with homicide under the felony murder rule, first degree felony murder. Okay. When was the, the FMR enacted? Do you know? I don't know when it was enacted. I, I mean, I've done some research and it's, it's been on the books here in Florida for many, many years. Long time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the FMR originally, the felony murder rule itself originally started in England um, back in the 17th century. It's an old English common law. And um, part of the irony here is that English, England has even now abolished it, citing it cruel and unusual punishment. Um, the United States is the only country in the world that still uses some form of the FMR. Okay. And, and the reason that I know that is after John Doe was arrested, sat in county jail for two years waiting to go to trial, when the state kept contending they were going to make this murder charge stick, the average person's understanding you can't make that reach. You can't understand how are you charged with murder when you didn't kill anyone? You didn't harm anyone. They stated in open court, he never had a gun. He was never armed. He didn't pull the trigger. But because of the FMR, they were there. He was there when that, when that gathering took place. The intent, we found out later, the man that was armed and the driver of the car, the intention was to rob the two teenagers and, and leave them stranded. That didn't happen. Okay. So um, fast forward a little bit. I, I'm kind of jumping track, but the other two men took off out of state. John Doe returned home, never said a word um, till the next morning the police showed up, took him away. So he spent two years waiting to go to the trial. In that two years, the other two men were caught out of state and they were brought back to stand trial as well. So essentially you had three separate trials for one homicide the shooter the driver and then john doe were all tried separately not together in separate trials okay and all they were found guilty okay uh, john doe was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole as was the shooter and the driver all there, of them were right they were okay. all sentenced to life without the possibility of parole and the other two gentlemen the driver and the shooter were both in their early 20s the victim and John Doe were both 18. I think anybody in that situation, especially someone who is still really is sort of a minor in, or just coming of age into adulthood with a mentality of being in a situation where they, they didn't participate in, in a crime to be administered a life sentence 
that's pretty intense. A, I mean, if I put myself in a position where I went somewhere with the friends, even at my age right now, and they did something I had no knowledge of, and I ended up having something like that happen to me, I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how. I just can't even fathom the thought that that would be even possible here your in mind, the United States. I, I could see this that connection. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see something like this. I, I mean, I could, I could. The my thought process is like, well, that could happen in another country, like south of us. <laughs> I mean, I, that that could happen if I went somewhere in another country, but not here. No, that, that wouldn't be possible here. And so listening to this story is kind of like, I cannot believe this, but the research indicates with what's on the books that this in fact is not only the first time that this has happened because this is the law in your state or his yes. state. So what happens at this point? Because from there you have, you have an appeals process and I don't mean you per se, but United States citizens in right. the judicial system has an appeals process. So what happens yeah. next? After the conviction, um, he was sent off to prison. The defense attorney filed a motion for appeal. And this happened in Central Florida area. Okay. Um, he filed for an appeal and somehow the appeal was granted. Um, when the appeal was granted, when the appellate judges listened to the reason for the appeal, basically loosely stated the judge when she gave the jury instruction, she failed to give them proper instruction, proper improper jury instruction. So basically okay. the court was, the, the conviction was overturned. It was remanded back to the local court um, and the state at that time either had the option of trying him again or dropping the charges. And our family was kind of in limbo at that point because we were waiting with bated breath that they would just drop the charge because they had the person that did commit the homicide and his accomplice already serving life sentences. Okay. Um, so, and di did the other two appeal? Did they go through the appeals process also? Yes, they've exhausted all of their appeals. Okay, and so they've, they, no, no release for them. They are in. Yeah, they are in. They're serving life. Both okay. Of them separate facilities. So what happens next? Well, um, we waited to see what the state of Florida decided they were going to do. And they decided they were going to take him to trial again, John Doe to trial yet again for the same charge. During, okay, so, and we're thinking here, due process, right? You can't do that. Double jeopardy. I mean, can't do that. Well, well because the conviction had been vacated, the state had to make a decision, try him again, charge him again, or let him go, drop the charge. Okay. They okay. chose to make the charge stick and go for a second time. Um, and while they were in the jury selection process for trial number two, a juror had come forward with information she'd seen on the news or something. I, I don't remember details. Basically, trial number two ended in a mistrial. So now you have John Doe went to trial the first time, sentenced to life, that conviction gets overturned and the state takes him back to trial a second time. 
Now the judge has no choice but to declare a mistrial because two jurors were talking behind the scenes about the case, which is a no-no in, in potential jurors. So trial number two ended in mistrial. The state had the option again to take him back to court or let the charges go. Our lovely state of Florida decided to go for trial number three. Okay. So now you have, mind you, the shooter, the driver, and John Doe's first conviction. You've had three trials for the same crime, trying to take John Doe back a second time. Now it would be four trials. If they decide to take John Doe back a third time, five trials for one, one homicide, one case. I get it. We're only supposed to have one trial, though. You got it. Yeah. So... While all of this was going on, I'm going to law libraries and I'm trying to absorb as much as I can about the felony murder rule and learn what I can and find out if there's a way that I can help, that I can, I've got to be able to do something. And I ended up going back to college and I ended up with associate's degree, bachelor's degree, and then a master's degree in criminal justice so that I could really understand this and, and how is this possible? We are, we're basically raised with, with the knowledge that our system is just and it's fair and the punishment is supposed to fit the crime. And one of the things about the felony murder rule that I found over the years that I've, I've studied this law, the way that the prosecution, the prosecutors make this stick, three key words, regardless of intent. And that's important regardless okay. of intent. So I have a question. If that law were removed from the books, would that vacate his charge? Yes. Okay. And what would that consist of? Would that consist of getting petitions and then it going to the a vote or what, how would that have to take place? Well, I can tell you right now, currently in 2019, we're in Florida. Um, there are only four states in the United States that do not have the felony murder rule. And in you order said that do not have it. Only four states. And now California is the fifth, which I was just going to explain. Okay. Hawaii, Hawaii, Kentucky, Michigan, and Ohio are the four states that do not have the felony murder rule. Hawaii, California, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio. Right. I have Got to it? remember the alphabetical order. <laughs> California, um, October of 2018, a bipartisan effort to drop the felony murder rule in the state of California was signed into effect by their governor October of 2018 to be effective as of January 1, 2019. With that being said, the felony murder rule goes away as of October 1, but they are now currently, as we speak, going back retroactively. At the time I learned of this was in December of 2018. And they stated at that time they would go back. There was between 400 and 800 inmates statewide in the state of California. Okay. Sentenced to the FMR. Okay. They are going to go back 
and look at those 400 to 800 cases. And I just learned in the news last week, the governor of California just um, excused four of them and commuted two other sentences already. Four people have been exonerated and two, their, their life sentence was commuted to 20 or 25 years. Okay. And that, that, is, that is phenomenal because that's another state that, has, that is abolishing this law. And while we're on that topic, um, here in Florida, we have a senator that has just drafted a Senate bill that's okay. going to legislation. And I will be in Tallahassee after the new year when this bill is being heard. Senate Bill 564, for any listeners that you have that live in the state of Florida or have friends or family in the state of Florida, SB 564. Basically what that states in essence, it's doing away with the charge of, of first degree murder for anyone that is not a key participant. And okay. it also back retroactive to anyone that is sentenced. It has been sentenced under that law. Okay. That is enormous um, just for Florida here alone. We have currently have over 100,000 inmates in the state of Florida. I don't know the number of how many are serving under the FMR. That was my would, question. Mm -hmm. I would have to call each individual county and talk to the state attorney's office. Um, but I do research. I am, I am working on some other things. Um, so that, that's huge. And if that bill gets passed, we would follow in the footsteps of California and a lot of you know, young men and women who are currently serving under the felony murder rule for a homicide they did not commit. That, that's, the, that's the key, is the punishment is not fitting the crime. And, and you're hearing nowadays, you're starting to hear more about criminal justice reform. Right. Advocacy, advocacy for criminal justice reform. And you're hearing terms like wrongful conviction. You're hearing terms like mass incarceration. Um, we've been dubbed the incarceration, incarceration nation. The United States has the third highest prison population of any other country in the world. I didn't know that. And, and it's very interesting that, uh, that that is such a high number, especially with the things that we see on the news, mm -hmm. because you wouldn't put or equate that to us here in the United States. Mm -hmm. One thing that I do want to say is that Florida and California usually mirror each other in a lot of their legal aspects, whether it's procedural or whatever, but there's a lot of mirroring going on. So there may be a very good chance that your SB 564 will pass. When, when is that supposed to be going through? I'm trying to follow, trying, trying to find it on the Florida Senate's agenda, um, but I know they're not back in session now till January, so it won't okay. be until after January okay. 1. I will keep you posted because I will be in Tallahassee. Um, and I've been, I've met with a senator here in Florida, um, and he has invited me to come and speak in Tallahassee to the Senate. Um, so he and I are communicating. So once I have a, a, a an ironclad date, I will let you know and yes. maybe we you an update and I will be in Tallahassee because this has been and it's been a very difficult journey for me for, for 13 and a half years John Doe is my son 
and it's very hard. It's very hard to talk about. Yeah, because he's he was always a good kid, you know. And before this happened, he had just turned eighteen in June. He was arrested in August of two thousand and six, and I just got him to where, you know, he was thinking about joining the Navy. He wanted to be a firefighter. I had him on the path, you know, good kid. Girls loved him, you know, friends with all the guys, teachers, everyone always had nice things to say about him. And you are never prepared for something like this. But one thing I can tell you is until it happens to you, I never knew stuff like this existed. I was a single mom raising two kids. I did not know that someone could go to prison for something that they didn't do. Right. I used to, if somebody was in prison, they did something to deserve to be there. But because this happened in my family and it happened to my son, I was angry, I was sad, I was, I was a mess. But I, I got myself together and I thought, you know, I didn't know about this law. If I didn't know about this law, there's tons of other people that didn't know about this law. And when people meet me and talk to me, they say, you know, how is that possible? How, you know? So what I did was I took to social media and I'm not one of those constantly walking around with my phone in my hand and walking into light poles and stuff. Sure. I took to social media and I created a page and my page is called Concrete Pillow. Concrete Pillow. Pillow. Um, and it's, it's a picture of a pillow with prison bars inside the pillow. And if you go on the page, you'll, you'll see the graphic. Um, and I, I connected with other people via social media. And now I have other moms that I talk to whose loved ones are incarcerated under this, this law. I have people from California, Illinois, Michigan, um, other states that have reached out to me and we joined forces together. And I started a campaign here in Florida last year and I drafted a letter and it's on Concrete Pillow. And I asked everyone and anyone, if, you, if you've been touched by this, you've heard of this, or you know someone that's been touched by this, print this off and send it to your local senator, send it to your local representative. And basically it's telling our politicians step up and take notice you've got prison overcrowding yes. you've got a budget of 2.7 billion dollars my tax dollars are paying for enough well you know you lisa you really have a good point there because one of the things that i'm going to use california as an example that was done a few things you mentioned prison overcrowding. So one of the few things that they did to address that issue was anybody that had an infraction or a misdemeanor, they released back to into the community. And those were people that actually had legitimate convictions of a crime. That is very different than somebody who did not commit a crime and is, has been prosecuted for that. There, to me, I would rather a person, you know, whatever consequence that they need to serve, 
that they if they if they did that crime then there's a consequence okay but for somebody that didn't then no and i would rather some someone that that not be on the books that they serve for a crime that they didn't commit than it would be to release a whole bunch of people that did commit those crimes i i would rather not that innocent person be in the jail just based on those kinds of things. So what you're telling me is very, very interesting. And I think that those who want to help with the campaign that you're doing, a concrete pillow, really do need to get in contact with you. There's a lot more that you can share with us. And we're, we're short with time right now, but there really is a lot more. And there's a lot of information that you have that can help other people. And if you could give out your social media address right now, I'd like for them to do that and for you to do that. I'd like for you to be able to share how you want people to connect with you so that you can help educate people. One of the biggest deficits that we can have in our own personal freedoms is the lack of knowledge. And if you go, if you are, if you ever go to court for something, whether it's, you know, broken, taillight and you're fighting because you don't want to pay the $15 fine to get it fixed or whatever the case is. Or, and you, you go in there and you say, well, you know, your honor, I didn't know. They're going to say, well, their ignorance is not an excuse of the law. So you have right. to know these things. Right. So one of the things that you did was you got educated and you did that by going through and getting your, your master's. Um, but there's people that can't do that or won't do that but there's still a need of information and education and you're there to help people do that. And they should be able to get in touch with you. How can they do that? Um, they can reach out to me either directly on concrete pillow on Facebook or my parent LLC, which concrete pillow falls under is beach bum productions. I'm sorry, LLC. beach bum, beach bum productions, LLC at gmail.com. And that's the business email address. Um, and that's the best way to reach me other than giving you my cell phone number and having people text me, but I don't want somebody from, you know, Australia texting me. So here's the thing, you know, we want to respect your boundaries too, because this isn't something that, that needs to be this big thing. There's legitimate ways to handle the steps necessary that you want to do to enact the right result. And that that really is important. And you have mentioned a lot of things that are, like you said, these are buzzwords. We're hearing certain things, but there are certain steps and certain um, parts of the education process that people need to know so that there's an understanding of the right things. The biggest challenge that I have ever seen, no matter where, where it's been from, Growing up in uh, in the Los Angeles area and hearing people who didn't know things throw certain terminology around and spread further lack of knowledge, that is that is the worst thing that can be done because people can create a rising thinking that they are supporting the right thing when in essence they're not in essence they're not because the original person that gave them the information was giving them the wrong information. Yeah. So this is really important when we're supporting a cause or we want the right things to be put in place for the betterment of the whole, we got to know, and you have been doing the research to do that. And I think that this is what's important about what you are doing 
with concrete pillow. You've always, you've heard the term, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yes. I squeak really, I squeak really loud. You squeak really and, loud. And that's one of the things that you're going to be doing by going and, ta um, and talking here pretty soon. And we're definitely wanting to stay on top of this. So as you're progressing with these things on whether you hit little bumps in the road along the way, I'd like to follow you along with this journey so that we can really stay abreast of what's going on in our system. This is important information for everybody, no matter what side of the belief system they're on. It makes no difference. This is very important information. We need it. One thing that, that I just, uh, to go back to John Doe, um, that, that third trial that we started to talk about, mm -hmm. the state came and offered him a plea deal. Um, and they've offered him a plea deal of 22 years for a second degree murder, followed by eight years probation. So okay. in essence, what they did was they took this 18 year old kid and they couldn't get the murder charge to stick in court because the first one was the, the, the um, appeal was granted, the second one was a mistrial. So they offered him a plea deal. And by now he's 20 years old so he's looking at a plea deal for 22 years, admitting to something that he didn't do, or to take his chance at trial again and possibly get a life sentence all over again. And so that, he's thinking, I'm going to have to stand here and put up with all this stuff that I, that's going on for my life, or I can just just admit it this and, and get out. Take the plea deal and go to prison, do okay. my time. So that's why he has been in now 13 and a half years. He took the plea deal. But when I really started researching while I was finishing my master's degree, I talked to attorneys, prosecutors, judges, law enforcement, anybody and everybody that would listen to me. I asked about this law. What do you know about this law? You know, and, um, you know, it was like the lesser of two evils. And I feel like he was railroaded. He was backed into a corner. That's not justice. That is not how our justice system is supposed to operate. And one of the key things that I found, and if, you or any of your listeners go on concrete pillow we have some powerpoint videos up that we that we've created we we create them ourselves under beach gum productions and we air those and one of the things that i'm going to be airing very soon is the prosecutors have all the power and very little discretion is granted to the judges so you have these prosecutors who have these huge egos and you know they took three men to trial for the same crime. Why? What did you gain from that? So that's another thing that I, I'm pushing for is more discretion needs to be given to the judges um, so that these prosecutors, they say, well, you know, we're going to do this. Well, no, we're not going to do that. Um, so that's another thing. I, I, I just, I'm pushing for reform on so many levels. <laughs> it's really interesting you say that because oftentimes people don't want the judges to do that. And it's really important that, I mean, these are elected officials. So it's, and that's who you're going to face. That's who you end up going to face. And there is people who go in with these bargaining chips. They're like, okay, well, you know what? I, I'm going to drop this charge if you'll plea to this, or I'm going to do, I don't, I, I personally would not want to be saying, okay, well, we're going to, 
I, I just, I, I understand what you're saying. And there's some really interesting things that you, that you're bringing about. I think a lot of people don't realize how much is put in different places. And we just go by in, in, this is not just in our legal system, but a lot of areas of our life where we just go by and go, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to know about that. I'm just going to do this because if it doesn't affect me, then no big deal. Well, some, some things are going to affect you at some point and you need to be educated in a lot of different areas of life because you can be affected. There's people who say, well, if you're going to be good at something, be good at one thing, don't be good at a whole bunch of things. And my school of thought is you need to know a lot about a lot of things because all of these things end up playing in together and you really need to understand how things work. This is important. What's going on with everything that you just said is really important. One of the things that I mentioned, ignorance of the law is no excuse. I don't think, you said there's only four states that doesn't have FMR? California is now the fifth, yes. Okay, so how many of you that don't live in Ohio, Hawaii, California, Kentucky, and? Michigan. Michigan, <laughs> okay, I almost had it. Any of those other states know that that law is on the books where you live? How many? Think about this for a second. If you don't know, you might want to get in contact with Concrete Pillow. I believe that's facebook.com forward slash Concrete Pillow. Is that correct? Correct, yes. And, uh, and a lot more information can be found there as long, and in addition to educational videos and other things that are going on. Anything else before we go that you might want to share, Lisa? Um, I just ask that, um, you know, if, if anyone has any questions, I can provide more details, more information. But if you do know someone who this law has affected, change, sadly, change needs to start at the political level. Um, contact your senators, contact your representatives, your legislators. Get to know who's making the decisions and, and how they're affecting you. Because if you're a taxpayer, right here in Florida, it costs over $40,000 a year to house just one inmate, just one. Wow. And when the budget cuts come down the line at the Capitol, mental health programs, the substance abuse programs, the educational programs, those are the first things to go. So if you know someone that has been touched by this law, get in contact, let me know, and I can help you through the process, but it's taken a while to get this bill drafted, and now we just have to get it passed. But what's important to note also is when John Doe does come home, he's a convicted felon. You know, he's, he's it's going to be hard to get a job, get an apartment. It, you know, it's going to be hard to put his life back together. And where do you go after that? You know, when you're charged with something that you didn't right, do, right? Fight your, your entire existence. Um, so those are things I would like to see change. And you mentioned some of the offenders in the community and they're sent back to the community probation and, you know, community corrections. Um, even in a lot of communities, those mental health programs and stuff go away because there's not enough money to run them. Our entire, system, our entire system nationwide is broken. 
and we really need to help fix our system. Too many men and women are sitting in prison for things that they didn't do. And it really shouldn't be that way. That's not how our justice system is designed to work. So I'm only one person, I'm only one voice, and I want a louder voice. I want a bigger voice because even we get this passed in Florida, someone asked me, you, would you go to Washington, D.C. to get a drop nationwide? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would take on Trump if someone asked me to face to face, but they do things on a federal level there because there is felony murder for the federal level. So they just did the first step back and that applied only to um, federal inmates. So unfortunately, right now it's state by state. Well, I know this has been a really hard thing to talk about with us today. I want to thank you for sharing that with my audience. I encourage them to get in contact with you, facebook.com forward slash concrete pillow. And we will keep on following your case as it stands, because I know that this is going to affect a lot of people. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Watch those videos on concrete pillow. They're very informative. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. You're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to thank all of you for taking the time to tune in to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. I always try to make sure that you are given the tools, resources, information, inspiration that help make your life healthier, happier, and can change in a direction that is positive and moving forward. And this case may be something that affects your life. So do take a, a moment to head on over to facebook.com forward slash concrete pillow and see what's going on. And if it doesn't, you may know somebody that it does. So as always, I ask you to share this show with your friends, your family, your colleagues, everybody you know, and everybody you don't. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.